0: verses 8 to 15, as you may all be very well versed by now. Um, So, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray.
1: If you could travel any place in the world or in the universe, where would you go? I suppose some of you might say, I've always wanted to go on a cruise. I want to go on a cruise to some exotic place. There are others of you who might choose to go to some biblical place. You know, you want to be a biblical person, so you want to go to Israel. Or maybe you want to go where Paul traveled. Maybe you want to go to Rome uh, and, and see the places where he traveled. There are others who might want to do something a little more practical, like go visit family members that you haven't seen in a while. Travel to see a friend that you've been separated from. And then there are those crazy people who want to go to the moon or to Mars, you know. They're weird. But there are people that want to do that. Well, we get a peek in this passage, into the thoughts of the Apostle Paul as to where he would like to go. Of all the places in the world that he could have chosen to go, maybe to Egypt or, or up into China, he might have desired to, to go visit the people in some other, uh, you know, spot like Laodicea, where they have hot springs, and he could just kind of... Lie down in those hot springs and soak. Lots of places that he could have gone, but where does he want to go? He tells us he wants to go where no other apostle, no other missionary, no other evangelist has ever gone. In our text this morning, Paul introduces us to that desire. And then he comes back to it in chapter 15. And in chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, he says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Well, that was Paul's greatest desire. Of all the things that he could have wanted to do do, and the places where he could have wanted to go, he wanted to go where nobody else had gone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. From 48 to 58 A.D., that's exactly what he did. Paul traveled throughout the eastern Mediterranean, going from city to city, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally he felt that all the major areas in that eastern part of the Mediterranean had been reached by himself or by other evangelists and missionaries. And now it was time for him to go to Rome. Now, he tells them in chapter 15, verses 22 to 24, he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. I told you, Matt, I told you, Karen, I'd tell you the answer to that question. Why was he hindered? But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. His dream of visiting them, was soon going to be a reality. But as we flip ourselves back to chapter 1, there we get this amazing revelation of a man who had one central purpose for living. The writing of Romans is not simply a theological treatise given to the church at Rome because no apostle had been there. Perhaps the depth and the details into which he goes on these subjects, has something to do with that. But in verses 8 to 15, the passages that many of you have been studying all week long, God grants us x-ray vision below the surface of this man into his very heart that we might understand the motives for his life. And so as our theme And this passage states this morning, since sin is the falling short of God's glory, our greatest joy should be for God to use us to bring someone back to living in His glory. And that was the passion of Paul. That was his heart. If you and I are created to passionately pursue the glory of God, if that's why we exist as a church, but as individuals as well, then there should be no greater delight in our heart than to see someone who is far from God, someone who is separated from God, coming into that living and vital relationship with Him through the sharing of the Gospel. It should bring tremendous joy to us. Now, it would be a mistake for us as we look at this passage to see them simply as a story about Paul explaining why he hadn't made it yet to them. Instead, we need to sense the emotion that lies behind this as the apostle writes this letter. The passion of his heart, to listen to his heart beating. Hey, that's good. Beating for the sake of the gospel. Listen closely to verse 9, and you'll hear his heart for evangelism. This is the thrum, thrum, thrum that drives him forward in his ups and downs of his ministry. For God is my witness, whom I serve in the gospel of his Son. God is my witness. Paul's heart, his passion, God knowing the depths of that, that he would be able to share the gospel of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. For Paul, his apostleship is not simply a job. Last week we talked about the necessity of of, of seeing our jobs as a call of God for the sharing of the gospel. But for Paul, this is more than just a job. Yes, it is his job. It is his calling. But it's the passion of his spirit that gives him strength as he goes through all of those obstacles, those beatings and the the shipwrecks and the imprisonments and the stonings and all the other things that happened to him. As he hung there on that piece of driftwood for a day and a half in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea, what kept him holding on, was the desire to continue to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Oh, that the Christians, you and me, that we would have that deep concern, that care about the souls of others, that we would care so deeply about the things of God. So notice, as we think about this, this heart for evangelism, Notice the passion of the proclamation of the gospel that lay in the heart of this man. On the back of your bulletins this morning, there's a story of Lucinda Rawlings. Her life was saved from an abortion because her mother saw the ultrasound. We talked about the importance of these women thinking about abortion, seeing those ultrasounds. Well, I wish today that we could view the ultrasound of Paul's heart. You would see it pulsing, pulsing with excitement over the saving work of God through Jesus Christ as he was working in Rome. We do have a form, though, of that ultrasound And we see it in verse 8 of our text. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You can almost feel and see the tears of joy flowing down his cheeks as he spoke those words. Because 10 years earlier, in the city of Rome, there was no one who knew God. Rome was the center of wickedness and sin. And now, ten years later, there is a thriving church. A church had grown up, a church filled with hungry disciples wanting to learn, wanting to know the truth, wanting to share that truth with others. They wanted it so much. That the news of what they were doing in terms of sharing the good news of the gospel was being heard throughout the whole world. Is that your heart for New York? Is that your passion today? With Paul, I'm excited for us here at Metropolitan. Your responses to what we have been doing with this mentoring ministry have been wonderful. And I've had the privileges of of telling people far and near about what God is doing here at Metropolitan as we share with one another, encouraging one another in the faith. I thank my God for all of you who are letting the gospel of Jesus Christ strengthen you. And there'll come a day in the not-too-distant future when your faith is going to be proclaimed as the faith. this church in Rome, your faith is going to be proclaimed to the world. God is at work in and through us, through this mentoring ministry. Do not grow weary in well-doing, but let your hearts be stirred with passion for what God is doing in you, through you, and let it reach out to the world. But as we look at this heart of evangelism, notice as well the passion of prayer that is supporting this longing. You see, one of the themes that you've heard over and over again and you will continue to hear is that underlying everything that is done in the kingdom of God must be a passion for prayer. Still, if you ask the average Christian, ask them to pray out loud with you. And what? What? tends to be the response. You'll probably get silence at first, and then there'll be a little bit of stuttering, and finally a mumbled, well, I really don't pray out loud with anyone. And I get it. You see, our culture has told us that our religion, our faith, is personal and private. As a result, Christians tend to think that way. My faith is a private faith. The problem, though, is that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It is a relationship with God. It is a relationship with God's people. No relationship can develop into a healthy relationship without communication. Texting, tweeting, emails, that's not personal. That's not really a relationship. Without personal contact and communication, good relationships wither and die. Since God is the center of the relationship that we have in faith, prayer is essential. But not just prayer to God. Lots of people pray. All over the world, there are people praying today whether they're praying silently or they're praying some rope prayers to God. God, help me. God, give me this. God, do that for me. But is that how you talk to your spouse? Is that how you talk to your children? Is that how you talk to your friends? To your coworkers? Praying with other people and for other people help us understand the purpose of prayer and the passion of prayer this familiarity with God in prayer. was at the forefront of what Paul is sharing. It is what drove his passion. As he communed with Jesus Christ, the life of Christ then filled him so that he would then share with others. I want you to know that the Apostle Paul Cared for the people in Rome. We see it in verses 9 and 10, don't we? That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. You talk about a heartbeat. We see it here. We feel it here. Think about how those Romans must have felt when they received this letter and they heard that the Apostle of Apostles was thinking about them praying for them, concerned about them, praying for them, praying for them regularly, ceasing, without ceasing. But I want you to know that that's what's happening here at Metropolitan. That's what's going on through this mentoring ministry. Your mentors are passionately praying for you. They're concerned about you. The, they want to see you grow. They want to see your faith develop, even as Paul cared about these Christians in Rome. The elders, the under shepherds, are praying for the mentors as well. Each one of us upholding others. And that's why we call you weekly to take a few moments to pray with you, to let you know that God cares about you and we care about you because God cares. But what is it that we pray about? I love what Paul tells these Romans is the reason that he's praying to God unceasingly for them, that God would allow him to come and visit them. He believed that the personal interaction of a mentor with a mentee provided the best means for the hope of encouraging them in the gospel. Think about it. See, Paul's passion was not simply for a bunch of friends. We know that he had many friends in that church. We know that. How? Because of Romans 16. We'll get there eventually. But there was for Paul a much greater reason than to go to Rome than to see his friends, the people that he knew. We see it in verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I just received a, a, a card from my sister, and she told us how wonderful it was for us to be able to come back for the gardener Christmas and spend time with the family. I love being together with my family. I love being together with the church family. I hope I have many friends here. You know, we love each other, we care about each other, we eat together, we have fun together, we play games together, we do all those kinds of things. <laughs> all right, especially the eating, right, Tony? All right, man. So, we get together, we laugh, sometimes we cry together. We've done that, haven't we? We often just talk about what's going on in our week. We might even talk about sports. I heard some of the the guys in the back sinfully talking. No, they weren't sinfully. (laughs) Talking about the games today. We just talk about different things. But Paul lets us know, that that's not enough. That when we get together, that's not enough. God brings us together to encourage one another in Jesus Christ, to encourage one another in our faith. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. the the more we we recognize that Jesus Christ is returning, that should make us more excited about encouraging one another in the faith. And so as we consider this, this hope of encouragement that Paul is sharing with us, notice the purpose of parenting in the spirit of encouragement. You see, as often as we talk about the church as a family, sometimes it's kind of hard to get the right picture of it. Parenting is a good picture. Parenting has many aspects of what it means to be Christians and and living in the Christian faith. Some more difficult than others. Those of you who have been parents know that. Not all of the things that we are supposed to do as parents, not all of those things are easy. You know, I've never, ever heard anyone say, I had a baby so that I could change a poopy diaper. We don't have children so that we can spank them. Some of you might act that way, but that's not what we do. It is true that parenting is about those things, but it's about much more than that. It ought to be about helping a child grow into adulthood. The mother or father have been given God-given responsibilities to train up the child in the way that they should go so that they can mature and become contributing adults, both in the church and in society. Paul saw the same truth when it came to being a spiritual parent. He says so in verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That I might impart, I might, I might build into you, I might give to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. When he, when he says spiritual gift here, those of us who have been in church for a while, we immediately jump in our thoughts to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and the list of spiritual gifts. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. This is not about spiritual gifts in the sense of we think about apostles or evangelism or, or uh, teaching and, or those kind of gifts. That's not what he's talking about here. Instead, what he's talking about here is investing in a person's spiritual development, investing in their spiritual growth. Because the Lord Jesus had given him spiritual insights and understanding, he is now going to share those insights and understanding of the Christian faith with these people in Rome. That's why we have the epistles of
0: of,
1: of Romans, or Corinthians, or Galatians, or Ephesians. We have those because Paul wanted to impart into the lives of the people as a spiritual parent those things that were going to cause them to grow up and mature in Christ. Paul saw himself as a spiritual parent. You read Timothy, Titus, Paul says, my child in the faith. Our mentors realized that they had the same responsibility They long to meet with you, they long to meet with their mentees, to share with you some spiritual gifts, some spiritual truths that God has given to them in order that you might develop and grow. Sometime in the next week or two, your mentors are going to be setting up a time to meet with you, a personal time. In order to, to share with you what Paul says he wants to do, that they might impart spiritual gift, a spiritual gift to you in the development of your faith. They're going to go over Romans one. Hopefully, we'll have covered most of it by the time that happens. And they're going to share the wonderful truths that God has shared with them in their lives that he has placed in this chapter, in Romans chapter 1. I'm excited to hear, after those meetings, what God is doing in your heart, in your life. Just as Paul was excited to hear about what God was doing in the lives of these people in Rome. Yet, as we consider this hope of, of encouragement, notice the power of Partnership. Partnership. As Paul relates to these Christians in Rome, Paul, the spiritual parent, wanting to invest, impart into the lives of those Christians the things that God had shared with him. And yet, even as he does that, he understands that it's not a one way street, it is not just him giving out to others. The church family grows in its relationship with one another as they grow in their relationship with God. Paul didn't go into the meeting with some sense of superiority. He wasn't looking to go to Rome because he was the apostle. Listen to what he says in verse 12. That we may be mutually encouraged, mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. That sense of of mutuality in that encouragement, that's an amazing statement. When you consider the fact that probably nobody knew more about the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the majesty of God's truth other than Jesus Christ, who walked on the face of this planet, than Paul. And yet, he is saying to those people in Rome some of them who have been a Christian for maybe six months, at the most, maybe ten years, and saying to them, I'm coming to you so that you can encourage me, that you can encourage me in the faith. Sometimes we who are pastors, elders, church leaders, sometimes we give off the sense that we are perfect that we're already there and, you know, hopefully you'll catch up to us somehow. I know we can come across that way. But the fact is, you can become very discouraged in the ministry. All you have to do is is look at, at Elijah as he, having had tremendous victory over the 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah, Comes off that mountain, and Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you just like you killed my prophets. And he ran. Tired. Worn out. Feeling alone. Discouraged. Read 2 Timothy sometime if you want to see why Paul needed encouragement. As a pastor and a church leader, we invest our time and our energy into the people of God we don't always know whether it does any good and then we get together and someone shares a testimony about how God is working in their lives what God is doing for them something that they've learned perhaps and suddenly we're reinvigorated we're encouraged to continue on in the ministry the mentoring meetings the phone calls they're not a one-way street. They're designed for us to mutually share with one another and build one another in the most holy faith. God wants us to be encouragers. Anyone who is parented knows what it's like. The enthusiasm that's generated when your child accomplishes something and you see them do it They come home from school with some kind of an award. That parent is excited, encouraged. The same thing happens for spiritual parents as well. So, have you begun to see the emotion of the passage here? Have you begun to feel the heartbeat of Paul as he's sharing here? Put yourself in Paul's place. He longs to get to Rome. He wants to meet the Christians there to make sure that they are strong in the faith, to share with them the spiritual gifts that God has given to him and pass them on to them. He's praying regularly for them. Unceasingly, he says, he's praying for them. He's wanting to be encouraged by them and the testimonies of what God has done and is doing in their lives. His heart for evangelism, his desire to help through encouraging believers fills up these patients with passion and with power. But if that's all that we had, we would be left empty. A church that only rejoices in what is happening inside its four walls is a church that's going to die. You see, Paul sees the church as a family. He sees the necessity of parenting and, and, and investing and imparting into one another. He rejoices in that. But a family also wants marriages, and they want children born. They want grandchildren. Paul wants to see a harvest of everyone. As well, He doesn't just want to see the Christians maturing and growing, but he wants them to see them maturing and growing that they might share their faith with others. In that card that my sister sent, in which she encouraged us, because we came and spent time with the family, she also shared some family news. We have two babies on the way. And... We have two marriages that are going to happen this year. So next Christmas, there's a potential to have four new family members. And it's only January. Who knows what's going to happen between now and December. And that's exciting. It's exciting. That is what Paul wanted for this church in Rome. He writes in verse 13, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Yes, Paul wanted to impart encouragement to this church, but he also wanted to see lost people come to know Christ. That I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He wanted them to grow spiritually, but he also wanted them to grow numerically. Because as people come to know Christ, through the sharing of the good news of the gospel, they are brought back to what they were created to be. God glorifiers in their lives. So notice, as he focuses in on this this harvest from everyone that he talks about, notice that he sets a pattern, a pattern of preparation. How do we go about doing this? Preparation spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and evangelistically. You see, the words that, that Paul shares in these few verses are words that are loaded with emotion. We've been talking about the emotion of this passage. He could have said all that he said, in these verses, he could have said it in one verse. Danielle always gets on my case about my, my being wordy about things. She said, you know, I could do in five minutes what you just did in a half hour. And she probably could. And Paul could have done that here in this text. He could have simply said, I'm praying for you and I hope to come see you soon. Sure would have saved a lot of space on the scroll. He could have done that. It's what it all boils down to. It's the substance of the whole thing. But Paul is not simply there to give them information. He is giving them his heart. He is giving them his hope. And he's giving them a desire for a harvest. He wants them to join with him in the greatest adventure of our faith. Sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I asked my family a question that I asked in one of the devotionals there, or told in one of the devotionals. Why does Paul use three terms here for the people that he's seeking to share the gospel with? He mentions Gentiles in verse 13. And then in verse 14, he talks about the Greeks and the barbarians, and he does a very Hebrew thing. He matches that with those that are wise and those that are foolish. Gentiles is the broad term for anybody who wasn't a Jew. And since Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, that's the heart, that's the passion that God gave to him, to reach the Gentiles The other apostles were sent to reach the Jews, and that doesn't mean that Paul didn't share with the Jews, but the passion that God had given to him, the calling that God had given to him, was to go to the Gentiles, and he took that seriously. Paul knew his calling. He was better equipped than the rest of the apostles to reach those that weren't Jews. But think of it. For Paul, it would have been simple for him to target only the Gentiles that he was like. You know, those that spoke Greek. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the people from Greece. He's talking about the Greek-speaking people, which are most of the people in the Mediterranean area. People in Italy, people in Asia Minor, the people... Uh, in Egypt, the people in the Middle East, most of them all spoke Greek. It was the main language that everybody communicated in. And so when he's talking about the Greeks here, he's talking about those who had been Hellenized, those who, who were under the influence of the Greek culture and under the influence of the Greek language. He could have stayed in that safe environment not having to have to translate or have somebody translate his message, just witness to the people that he was comfortable with. When we hear barbarians, what do we think of? If you're familiar with history at all, you think of the people that are all painted in all these colors, you know, they're just wearing a loincloth, and they're all, ah, as they're going into battle. That's our picture, but that's not what Paul's really talking about here. Sure, they're included in it, but that's not what he is meaning when he says "barbarians." Paul meant the people who were not Greek speakers, the people, many of them slaves, who had been brought in from various places, living in Rome, but they weren't the Hellenized people that had grown up under the Greek culture. So today, what we would say about Paul is that Paul had the heart of a missionary, that Paul cared for all people, whether they spoke his language or didn't speak his language. And he has set a pattern for us in the sharing of the good news in our culture, in our community. See, when Paul says that he's going to speak to the Greeks and the barbarians, he's not talking about traveling up to Gaul or to Britannia, which is Germany and Great Britain today, He's not talking about going out there. He's talking about in Rome to those who were Greeks and those who were barbarians. God had brought into a place where the gospel could touch their lives. And we live in that kind of a city, don't we? We live in a city of Greeks and barbarians, of people who speak English and have grown up in the American culture and those who haven't. Paul has set for us the example, the pattern of going outside of our comfort zone to talk to people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only when we get the bigger picture of God's heart for the world will we care enough to share the gospel with them. As our hearts are impassioned with the glory of God, then we will share that with people whether they've grown up in the American culture or not. I'm not expecting to see anybody run around in body paint. Oh, where are you, George? Uh, (laughs) We have the tattoos, right, in our culture today. People that are covered with it. The gospel doesn't look on the outside. It doesn't look at what language a person speaks. The gospel speaks to the heart, and all hearts beat the same way. As you walk the streets of Brooklyn, as you ride the train, subway, pray that God gives you a heart to reach your Greeks and your barbarians. but also as we look at this harvest of evangelism, notice the pattern of persuasion that Paul shares with them. We began by talking about Paul's heart for evangelism. We then examined his hope of encouragement. And now we're coming back, in a sense, to both of those things. Paul's pattern was to do both, to encourage the believers, and to evangelize the lost. That's where his heart passion was. That's what he means in verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We've been talking a lot about the gospel, especially in the Sunday school, uh, where the, the theology of what we're studying is being taught. And if you're not coming to Sunday school, you're missing one large third of what we're trying to do through this mentoring. I would encourage you to get up a little earlier and come to get the theological side of the passages that we are discussing. But as you look at what Paul is saying here, he's to preach the gospel to you, to the church, and also to the people in Rome. The preaching of the gospel is not only for the lost. The preaching of the gospel is all the transforming power of what God is doing through Jesus Christ in the lives of people to bring them back into a vital relationship with God so that the glory of God is imaged in them and shown out to the world. And so he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. As I pointed out in the devotions for this week, the word that is translated here as preach means to share the good news. It doesn't mean to stand in a pulpit, but it means to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Sharing the good news to those without Christ is essential if they are to hear. For without the hearing of the word, Faith cannot be awakened. We must share the good news of the gospel with others if they are to have a relationship with God. And so Paul says he's eager to share the good news with anyone and with everyone who would listen to him. He was equally excited to share with the church in Rome, to those who already were believers. As we work with you in the mentoring ministry... We aren't only doing that so that you share the gospel, but we're doing it because the gospel changes you, changes me. The more we understand of God's character and nature, the more we understand the truth concerning Jesus Christ, the more we change and grow and mature. And so we are excited to share the good news with you who love Christ. We want you to grow as we encourage mutually one another in this great faith, as we build each other up. And even as we do that, the more excited that you become about what God is doing in your life, the harder it's going to be for you not to share it with somebody else. The more excited you become about anything in life, the easier it is for it to show on your face and then, to share with others. Ask any grandparent, on the day that that child is born, that they just walk around, just another day, that's it, just another day, oh yeah, baby was born, yeah, you know, that's it. No. Got this thing, right? Right? Texting everybody, sending pictures, letting people know. The more excited you are about something, the more you want to share it. And Paul understood that as he worked with the church in Rome and desired to come and impart to them spiritual gifts. It wasn't just so that they would be a better person or they would even be a better Christian, but that as a result of their being a better Christian, that they would help to reap the harvest. I love this passage because it reveals Paul's heart, his love for God's people, his passion for sharing Jesus Christ with those who had not yet heard. And I pray that as we work through this mentoring together, as we work for the next 16 months on this, That by the time we finish, God will have given every one of us a passion for fellow Christians to encourage one another and even more, to share the good news of the gospel with those who don't yet know the truth. As we look at this passage and we look at the Apostle Paul, we see his pattern being set for us. But Paul's pattern was not his. For Paul tells us in his writings, what you see in me, what you hear from me, all comes from Christ. Imitate me because I imitate him. The opening words of this passage that we looked at today those opening words, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. It is what Christ had done in Paul that made him such a powerful individual in encouraging other Christians, evangelizing the lost. This is not about us being better. Christians, this is not, the mentoring is not about us being better people. It is about being in Christ. So Julius was sharing this morning, being in Christ, what does that mean? If you're here today and your faith, your religion, is just something that you've done. You grew up in a church. You've, you've been a part of the church, you know, for years. And you just, you know, you kind of come and go through all of that. But Jesus Christ is not the passion of your life. Then as Paul says in another place, you better test your spirits to see if you are in Christ. Do you know him? And if you are a Christian, then we're going to help you move towards Christ, not move move towards Paul. Paul simply becomes the means by which God opens our heart and our understanding to the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who is the center of the gospel. It is Christ who is the center of everything, that we do. Don't ever forget that. No matter how much we talk about Paul through all of this, we're only talking about Paul because Paul is talking about Christ. And so as we conclude, will you prayerfully, that's what we started with, right? The necessity of prayer. Will you prayerfully seek for the Lord to cause you to want to see people freed from their brokenness and restored as image bearers of God. Will you make that a prayer? God, stir my heart for the glory of God, such passion that I can't hold it in, and I have to share it with others that they too might be restored as image bearers of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you Thank you for what you're doing in this congregation. I've heard so many testimonies this week. And I thank you for those testimonies. I thank you for the mentors who are investing in the people. But, Lord, we are not here to invest our words. We're not here to tell people what we think. We are not going to be sharing about, you know, how smart we are or how... Good we are. We are here to speak these ancient words. The words of your word. For faith comes by hearing. Not hearing what Pastor Chris says. Not hearing what my mentor says. Not hearing what my mentee says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Take these ancient words and bring them to life in us today, for we ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.